Amen. You have a seat. Welcome to chapel, everyone. Community worship, great to be here with you all today. I'm Forrest, if we haven't met, and we are excited to be here with you. We have a couple quick things to know. One, hopefully you've seen the signs for the overflow discussion next Monday on mental health and faith. They're a great panel, folks, so check that out. And two, the, the, the spring break immersion trip to learn about peacemaking from those on the ground at the San Diego-Tijuana border. Uh, if you haven't heard about that, there's some flyers uh, or applications in the back there on the kiosk, or talk to me or Lexi about joining us and Jer Swigart, who was here a few weeks ago, um, on that great, exciting trip to learn about Christian peacemaking. This is a season starting officially Sunday in the church calendar called Advent, and Advent is more than just, uh, you know, punching out the little thing and getting out your chocolate every day, although that's a good part of Advent for some of us. But Advent is, is a time of longing, of longing for Jesus to come. And we remember the longing of Israel's history, of longing for a Messiah, someone to come and make things right again. And we identify with that, with that as we look at our world and our own lives and long for Jesus to come and make a new heaven and a new earth and make all things right again. And so in this Advent time that officially starts Sunday, that we start today with a, a prayer in the spirit of Advent in, in praying that way, of asking for God's kingdom to come. So let's pray together. Lord God, we pray for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for your kingdom to, kingdom to come in our world. We think of that bombing of the mosque in Egypt, and the wars in Syria, the, the persecution of many based on race and tribe, civil wars. We pray... In our world, your kingdom come. In our city, in our country, we pray your kingdom come. In a government that seems, a government that seems impossible to make anything happen, we're not sure what's even true and right and, and, and hurt and lies, and we pray for your kingdom to come. Pray for your kingdom to come in our city, where homelessness, hunger and cold, division, we pray your kingdom would come. In our Whitworth community, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. And in, in our discussions, we learn to, to, to love each other across difference as we learn to be one community that finds unity in you. As we come with all of our different backgrounds and questions, may your kingdom come. In our own lives, would your kingdom come? And our own struggles and questions about you, about life, and our own challenges of these next two weeks of school and, and, and all this facing us. In the excitement, maybe also the tough times that came from being home or being away at Thanksgiving. Uh, may your kingdom come. Lead us to be your people who love you and love others. Your people who live in the joy and the freedom of your spirit. Your people who live in your purpose as you invite us to join you in your good work in this world and worshiping you and loving in your name. May your kingdom come. And now, in this moment, as, as many comes and brings your word to us, may your kingdom come in us and in her. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, everybody. Good morning. So it was about seven years ago, and I was very pregnant for the first time, and I was invited to go to Suzette McGonigal's house to take a class on early childhood development for new parents. 
So I convinced my husband to come with me to this class. And we go into the house, and Suzette is there with her dear friend, Pat Sitzer, Jerry Sitzer's wife, who are experts on parenting, especially for early childhood development for little babies and how to do this well. So we sat there in a circle with about six other couples, very pregnant women, nervous husbands, and we sat there and listened. And they started to explain to us a theory, and they, they called it attachment theory. And what this meant was that in order for us to be good parents, they encourage us to work really hard to attach with the baby. And so they said, simply what this means is that when the baby cries, go to it. And so we took notes. And we thought, okay, this is not rocket science. They said, when the baby cries, you go and you respond. You pick up the baby. You comfort the baby. You check and see if the baby needs a diaper change or if it needs a bottle or possibly a binky or needs to be sent just held and put back to bed. So this is what is called a healthy attachment because what's happening is the baby is learning that whenever I'm in distress, whenever I'm in discomfort, somebody's going to come. Someone's going to be there for me. Someone's going to respond to the need. Because what they were finding is that when there are these mothers that might be in crisis or might be addicted or might be in trauma in their own ways, oftentimes a baby would cry and the mother wouldn't be able to come. And so what was happening was the babies weren't bonding to their mothers, and so they were constantly in distress because they didn't have a place to call home, to feel secure, to know that when they cried, would somebody be there because it wasn't consistent. And so this played out on the playground. So they would bring these young parents to the playground, and Suzette and Pat showed us a video of this, and they would bring these young parents to the playground, and a toddler would be standing there at the playground, and the parents would look at them and say, go on. And so a child with a positive, healthy attachment to their parents would venture out to the ladder and start to climb it. But they would often look back at the parents for approval, and the parents' job at that point is to go, you do it, you go, I can see ya. And they start climbing the ladder. And once they reach the top of the ladder, the parents are supposed to go, yes, you did it, way to go. And then the child feels free to continue to explore the playground, knowing that they have a safe base at home because they're constantly checking back for that encouragement to move along. And in the, same, in the opposite way, these, these kids that didn't have the attachment, they weren't able to go and explore the playground because they were so anxious and nervous that what if I take a risk and you're not there if I fall? And so you would see these young kids just clinging to their parents and screaming and saying, no, 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 you come with me. I can't do it by myself because I don't want you to leave me. It plays out so often in our relationships, even as men and women and adults, right? Have you ever been in that situation where you're sort of in the friend zone, but you're moving towards something good, maybe? But yet you're not totally sure, so you're starting to think about, is this a person I can depend on? Is this person I'm going to look back and they're going to go, yep, you, mm -hmm, you and me, we're good. <laughs> or are you going to look back and go, that person is nowhere to be found? I had a relationship like this in seminary where we would go and we would have so much fun and he would totally do all the things that guys are supposed to do to romance the girl. And then the next week, 
nothing. Like, what is it called? Radio silence, ghosting? What do we call it? <laughs> like nothing. But then the next week he would come back, and so I was like, I don't know what this is. And so what, what happened to me? I became desperate. Like holding my phone every five seconds, like maybe, 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 maybe I'll go to, the, I know he might be at lunch. I'll just show up right when he might be there. I know he's getting out of class. I'll just happen to be by that door of the class that he's coming out of. So you're living in this tension because you're so desperate because you don't have the confidence that the relationship has a secure base. I can't be dependent because I don't know for sure where the relationship is. And so this morning as, we're re- as I was thinking about this text and all these things that Jesus is trying to tell his disciples before he leaves, it's the night before he's about to go to the cross. And he's got these worried disciples that are confused and not sure what's going on and he says to them I want you to attach to me I want you to know that I am your home base and I want you to know that you are free to explore if you stay rooted in me and so the text here is John 15 he says I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. For I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I am them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Abide in me as I abide in you. This is Jesus saying, live in me. Make your home in me. Let us live together. Now, I know that many of you know living with people is hard, hard work, right? Amen. They say the hardest year of marriage is typically your first because this beautiful person that is focused and you're in love with and they're so great then you have to live with them and share a bathroom with them and it's the worst because they clean differently than you do and they structure things differently than you do and they want their some leave dishes in the sink and some don't you all know cleaning all these things living with people is hard and Jesus is saying I want to make my home in you I want to come in into your home and I want to see that back closet with all that clutter in it, with all those, all that baggage that you have that you're pushing away. He says, I want to make a home with you. Stick with me, he's trying to tell the disciples. Live in me and I will live in you. You have to stay connected to them. And so often the, or, the best way that we think about this relationship with Jesus is that we do these things. We pray and we journal and we read and we meditate and we serve other people because that's what religious people are supposed to do, right? But these are the things that God's calling us to in order for us to make a personal relationship with him flourish so that he knows 
our heart because his number one task for us is to bear fruit. Bear fruit, he says. We are called to create this fruit. And we have this master creator, the most creative God of the universe has made us in his image to be the most creative people that we can be. And yet we get stuck, I think, in level one preschool art class. My four-year-old, who is right now in preschool, is working really hard, let's show him the first one, to draw within the lines, right? That's what we say every time, try and stay in the lines. Just try. This is her first attempt at trying to be an artist. And so often in our life, I think our spiritual life becomes this task of, I'm just going to copy what the other Christians in my life have told me, and I'm going to work really hard to stay within the lines. If we believe the right doctrine, attend the right church, keep the exact moral code, read the right translation of the Bible, be baptized in the right way, go to every campus ministry program, right? If we do all the right things, we'll stay in the lines. But is that the creative the creative ideas that Jesus has for us. Too often, I think we get stuck this way. Or we go to the opposite way, which is a second type of art class, where we feel like we can paint anything that we want. We have a white canvas. Anything that you want. There's no attachment. That's why this, this way of thinking about creativity can become dangerous for us. Because if you're not connected to anything, you can get so lost. And one of our constant battles in a life comes from this modern worship of freedom and independence and living by and for ourselves. I will do anything that I want on this canvas and in this life. But Jesus says there's a third type of art class. His call for us to be creative comes when he says that he is the vine and we are the branches and if you are attached to him you are free to roam around that playground and you are free to create and he says the tools that I'm going to give you to paint are these love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law If we are rooted in the vine of Christ, we are able to go and express these things in a healthy way all around the playground of our lives. So this is what this can look like. This is somebody who brings love and kindness into a campus, into places in our halls and in our community where there's deep conflict. It's someone who practices joy and patience to the roommate when no one seems to enjoy their company. It's someone at school who models self-control in a world that says, do whatever feels good to you. You know these people, right? These people that don't just say that they're Christians, but these people that really try to live it out. They look different. They're transformed in some way. Because at the end, he says, every branch that bears no fruit, I'm going to cut off. My friends, this is why it is so difficult to be a Christian and why so many people don't want to do this. Because Jesus is saying, as you grow in me, in and through the vine, I'm going to cut off the things that are 
that include bitterness, the things that are useless, the things where you're angry, where there's those relationships that are not healthy, where there's too much gossip and rumors and passive-aggressive dysfunction in relationships, all those things, I'm going to cut those off. I remember referring back to that relationship that I tried to be in in seminary. It was so messing with me and my psyche. I was so unsure about what was going on, and then I got really badly hurt. And I was at a party, and I found a platform and an audience of people, and I started to spew. In an entertaining way, I must say, everybody was listening to me, but what I was doing was really, (laughs) I was telling that group of people who that guy really was and what he had done to me and how he had broken me and how he was worthless. And I remember a dear mentor and friend walked up to me in the midst of my rant and he said, take it easy. And I went home devastated and crying. And I remember that I had the wherewithal to invite Jesus back into my home and to show him these dark places of my soul. In order that he would prune those places away, I had to forgive the one who had wronged me. And I needed to take ownership for those places where I had wronged him and where I had not produced the fruits of the Spirit, but I had produced my own selfish agenda. That is the call of what discipleship means. My brothers and sisters, we are called to come back home to Jesus because we trust that when we're up on that slide and we fall off, that he will be there to receive us so that we can live a life producing the good, good fruit of God, the great, great gardener. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, this place, I'd love for you to think about what are you attached to right now? And to remind yourself that God is eager to move into your home in order that you will be able to produce much fruit, fruit that is of him, God the creator. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you deep, deep peace. And all of God's people said together, amen. Go in peace.